it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of Consumer Engagement in an Omnichannel World. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajapalan and Peter V.S. Bond, 
explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers in store, online, and everywhere. And now, here's Shreen Peter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Consumer Engagement in an Omnichannel World. I'm your co-host, Peter V.S. Bond. I'm also the Vice President of Retail Strategy at Power Reviews. Normally, I would introduce my co-host, the man by one name, Shri, but he is uh, on vacation today. So in his place, we have coerced uh, a, uh, a quite able-bodied person to uh, join me as my co-host. He is an uh, a e-commerce visionary with great experience, having worked at companies like Reckitt Ben Keyser and Kellogg. He is uh, currently the founder of a new enterprise called First Mover. I'll let him talk about that. And he's got a great article and a thought leadership report in partnership with One Space Out right now called Shelf Confidence, where he talks about, oh, the value of ratings and reviews and how you can amplify that across many different media channels. Wow, doesn't that sound interesting to me? Anyhow, please uh, join me in welcoming Chris Perry. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing great and honored to even try to fill the shoes of Shri for one episode. Um, but yes, uh, I'm, I'm a CPG practitioner from the trenches for the last 10 years, um, have led every aspect of e-commerce a- across this space, um, but you're never an expert. You're always trying to learn and earn your your right to be considered one each day. Um, but uh, I, Oscar Kashubsky and I, former colleagues at uh, Kellogg's launched First Mover as an effort, in addition to the consulting we do for brands, um, you know, individually and together, um, a, a, an independent community platform for education. Um, we're starting with some of the U.S. retailers and strategies, but this will become more of a global effort um, in, in 2021. Um, but it's it's a platform really helping people focus on how you win with Instacart and Amazon and Walmart, but really focusing in on those specific retail platforms as well as strategies like D2C brand protection, you know, digital shelf mastery and other things. So, you know, trying to get away from the, the too, too broad, even though that's important from an inspiration standpoint, but getting to the individual strategies. So um, we'd love to have anyone in the future join us. Um, it, it's, it's intended to be a community and a movement together. But um, thank you for having me today. And really, we should get to our, our true guest expert that we want to we want to prop up today. Yeah, Chris, thank you very much and we'll we'll direct our audience more at the end of the podcast on where they can learn about what you're doing. So our guest today, I'm very excited to have him on board. I met him oh, about 5 years ago. It was during my time at CVS. At the time he was running North America for uh, a company called Amia and he has since returned back to the UK where he lives now to be the CEO of a wonderful company called Acribo. He's a great guy. I want you to join me in welcoming David Buckingham. Buck, how you doing today? I'm doing good, Pete, and thanks for that uh, uh, amazing introduction. That's very kind of you. Uh, and I was just trying to think back um, before the podcast started as to when it was we first met. I think it was probably five, six years back. Um, so thanks for having me on. Um, looking forward and feel uh, honored to be a guest on your illustrious uh, podcast. Yeah. Buck, before we get into the questions, can you give us just a brief overview of what your company does? Sure. Um, so I, as Pete said, I'm CEO of Acribo. It's a retail technology company. Um, essentially, we are a point-of-sale marketing specialist. So what does that really mean? Um, we like to think of ourselves as providing retailers around the world with the ability to, 
I guess, unlock the value that's inherent in their stores through the interactions with their customers. So the software that we deliver um, allows retailers to, in real time, identify and communicate with customers in meaningful, well, in meaningful ways at the point, at the point itself. So effectively, where the rubber hits the road, we think that's where all the action is. So we've developed some smart technology uh, that allows retailers to really uh, unlock the value there. And just to give you a sense of who we are, our scale. So yeah, we're a UK-based company. Uh, we've been around for about 10 years. I've had the pleasure of having the role here for about three years. And we work with some big companies around the world. So uh, in the UK, we work with Marks and Spencers and Waitrose. In the US, two of our largest clients are Albertsons and Southeastern Grocers, to give you a flavor of the kind of businesses that we work with. Great. And uh, that's going to be very helpful because we're going to dig in some questions and learn a little bit more in detail about what you're doing. Uh, so I'm going to start off. My first question to you is really uh, honed in on this, Buck. What are some of the consumer touch points that you all identified as being relatively overlooked in this fast-paced world of everybody focusing on digital and e-commerce as being the way to communicate with shoppers? What were some areas that were overlooked and could prove to be very meaningful in terms of engaging consumers? Yeah, so there's a few. And uh, you mentioned this kind of world of digital adoption, and clearly that has been the case for some years now. But um, it, clearly things are changing as a result of the pandemic we're experiencing at the moment. But um, just go back to earlier this year, so pre-COVID, we were seeing that even in this digital world, in retail as a general statement, it's still true to say that over 80% of transactions occur in a physical brick and mortar store. Obviously that has changed a bit since, since COVID, but um, nonetheless, the vast majority of transactions are in a store. So for us, um, that made us think, well, there's lots of opportunities there that perhaps are getting lost in the, the strive to get digital. So if you think about it, you know, what is the one thing that anybody who buys a product from a retailer, what is, what is the one thing that they do? And the answer is they go through the checkout, right? So we think that that is an opportunity to communicate in meaningful terms with customers because to us, a customer tells you a lot about themselves by what they buy. So as they go through the checkout, we think there's lots of opportunities. So the most obvious one is by using the regular printer receipt. So the regular receipt that comes out of the existing printer, uh, we think that is a really, really important marketing real estate. Um, but there's others as well. So varies a little bit by retailer and by retail vertical, but it could include, for example, uh, a customer-facing display uh, for a retailer that has them. Uh, give you an example, Uniqlo, one of our clients, uh, in the US and in the UK and in Europe. Um, we help them use the customer-facing displays to ask customers if they wish to sign up for a digital receipt, for example. There's a cashier-facing display, which also can be used to pump uh, messages uh, out via the cashier, via the assistant. Um, and through that same technology, we can push uh, communications to other areas, both physical and digital, including direct-to-mobile app, out via digital receipt, via email, and so on. But primarily, it's that interaction that happens at the point of sale that we think is where the real action is and where there's a big opportunity. Right. Dave, Dave that, that's great because I think that gives some real color to some, some of the current things you're able to do in-store with those retailers to bring it at that point of sale and engage a, a more personalized omni-channel experience. From maybe more from a retailer side, what are the core components of that capability, right? Because obviously, you know, a solution provider can come in and, and bring that that value to them. But what do they what do they need to do to ultimately bring that to life? Yeah, so that's a good question, Chris. Because I think um, historically, 
everybody's thought of the point of sale as being this kind of big uh, hulking machine that you can't really touch and nobody really quite knows how it works. And uh, everyone's scared of it because if you upset it, of course, that can be an absolute disaster for a retailer. You can't stop, slow down or disrupt the transaction in any way, shape or form. So um, really the beauty of a career though is that we've developed some technology that really allows us to help retailers to intercept the value that's there in a completely non-disruptive fashion. So to put it in sort of quite high level terms, um, essentially what we have is a few core components. The first is really where the action is and that's at the point of sale. So a very, very small piece of software sits down at the pause, but it's actually beneath the operating layer. And all that's doing really is hooking into the data flow in real time. And so that can be the data flow between the scanner and the point of sale itself, or it could be between um, the point of sale and the printer when the transaction closes. And essentially what we're doing is we're sucking up all of that data. So that's everything that would regularly be printed on the receipt. So, you know, it's the store, it's the date, it's the time, it's the items, the price, etc. If there's a loyalty program, we may get some of the loyalty ID type of tender, etc. So we're sucking up that data in real time. We're sending that up to the cloud. And in our cloud sits uh, essentially a big lookup engine. And that's populated with all kinds of clever analytics. Can be provided by the retailer, can be provided by us can be provided by retailers preferred third party. You know, we're really um, open to working with all and sundry in that regard. But in the in the cloud, there's a big lookup table that's basically looking for triggers. So there will be pre-populated campaigns that the retailer wishes to run. And if the criteria that means that those campaigns are valid for that transaction are spotted in real time, we're triggering. And then the relevant action is triggered as a result of that. So let's say, for example, uh, it could be a a, a real simple campaign in a grocer, let's say. Uh, it's a real simple kind of basket-driven campaign where we say if somebody buys um, um, Cheerios, then we want to give them a promotion for uh, you know another, another um, cereal brand as well that's from the same portfolio, for example. So in real time, we're seeing that Cheerios is in the basket. Data goes up to the cloud, trigger is uh, activated, and then we will send in that example an instruction back down to the pause, just effectively inserting um, a series of instructions that basically says, just hold the receipt for a second, we're going to reformat it. I say a second is actually significantly less than a second. Just hold, hold the receipt. We're going to reformat it and we're going to print an offer which is based on that trigger. So instead of just the regular receipt coming out, uh, the receipt will print it in this normal way and then there could be a coupon that is designed to encourage the customer back into store to um, to pick up the product that is being promoted. So that's that's a really, really simple idea. Um, but obviously, it's quite difficult to execute with uh, you know, the technological barriers that, that exist. So, um, so we've got those core pieces of, uh, of technology that allow us to um, execute against that. And then the third piece is effectively the front end. So the customer or the client-facing front-end online portal that is where retailers themselves can set up and manage campaigns on an ongoing basis. So real simple to use. Um, can be up and running in just you know, a couple of minutes. So there's no real lead time on the campaigns. Um, and effectively, that is the way in which retailers can set campaigns up and running in very, very quick time and execute against the different criteria that they're looking to, to deliver against. Buck, that sounds terrific. Uh, you know that I came from a retail background and I'm all about register receipts. In fact, it's probably going to be on my tombstone that I'm the guy <laughs> responsible for those six, six foot long register receipts. But in any event, during my time uh, at CVS, I came to understand doing anything on the POS regis 
register receipt as being incredibly complex. At least it was my perception. How have you guys kind of broken through that logjam? Yeah, um, and that's that's the first statement. It is complex, and there's lots of reasons for that. You know, these are these are big ins- installations which um, are typically difficult to replace. So in a lot of cases, and big retailers have point of sale software and hardware that has been in place for in some cases decades. And what you find is um, rather than rip it out and replace, which is a big big undertaking, they tend to get built on top of and improved and enhanced and so on and so forth. And before you know it, you've got a you know, behemoth system that everybody's scared to touch in case it falls over because of course, you know, the pause goes down, that's a disaster for everybody. Um, so historically it has been difficult to do the kind of things that we talk about, but really um, I guess the beauty of Acrebo, and I should point out that you know, clearly <laughs> I'm the CEO of the organization, I can't take the credit for this. This has been in, in, in existence way before I joined the company. Mm-hmm. Um, but the guys developed some absolute genius technology, which I think it's important to say is does um, benefit from a from a US patent, um, and that's all about the way in which we do what I described earlier on. So this extremely light touch, non disruptive way of hooking into the data flow that exists is unique to Acrebo, um, and there's a few other things that are unique to us. So obviously. I've told us, told you that we, uh, you know, send the data up to the cloud. But if we're going to execute a printed campaign, one of the other real advantages that we have is that we've developed our own drivers. That mean we can talk to any printer that exists in its own native language, and that's super important because it means we can, you know, we can deliver really, really cool graphics, really compelling imagery that make, makes the things that we deliver stand out from just a regular receipt. Because as everybody who ever shops in a store knows. Typically, receipts are pretty boring. They all look the same. And so what we've done is developed some technology that allows us to really stand out from the crowd. So, you know, there's, um, there's a lot in that, but the idea is very, very simple. And it's essentially how we've, we've come up with a way to, in a non-disruptive fashion, really circumvent the point-of-sale operating system itself. So in other words, just to finish off on that, the POS software technically doesn't even know we're there. It's that light touch. So it's super wow. non-disruptive. So, so Dave, in terms of, uh, so, so when we just think of like physical and digital receipts, obviously as a point of engagement, what kind of improved engagement have you guys seen? What can a retailer expect who's looking to work with you? Because obviously there's investment, um, you know, resources and investment to implement this. So what, what, what maybe there's case studies or ranges of, of improved engagement you've seen? In the yeah, market. yeah, sure. And there's, there's a few ways to answer that, Chris. Um, and obviously it does vary on a few things. So you know, the kind of technology that we have has different applications in different types of retailer verticals. So in grocery and drug, it is still predominantly, and you know, this is, I guess, it's still, it's still true actually in COVID, um, but it's predominantly still on physical printed coupons. Whereas perhaps in apparel, it's more about digital receipt and embedding offers within digital communication. So you know, that will have a, a difference. But if we just stick with grocery, um, for example, um, again, this is stating the obvious, but the kind of improvement that offers that, that um, retailers will see will depend on the quality of the offer. And the quality is based, as Pete and you, Chris, you know, for well, is based on two things: it's the targeting, so how relevant is it for the customers, but also it's the strength of the offer, right? So clearly, a big discount is going to probably drive a higher redemption rate. So you know what we see is, uh, and, and you know, this is this is a. I get a real kick out of this when we're engaging with a prospective retail customer for the first time. 
because there's a few things that we say that they don't believe. One is that we really are like touch and we can be up and running without disrupting your pause in just a few weeks. Nobody believes that, but it's true. And the other is we can drive a real, real uplift in your top line sales. And we have hundreds of case studies that prove it. So give you a sort of flavor, um, you know, the redemption rates that we can drive are anywhere from five to 20%. That's five to 20%. Um, and, you know, if we're not really getting 5%, we're disappointed because it means something's gone wrong with either the offer or the targeting. Um, so that's great. But of course, you know, anyone can drive a high redemption rate on a one-off if you're just giving stuff away or, you know, offering a super discount. So the real value is what you do on a strategic basis over time. And we do a combination typically of kind of strategic um, basket driving, frequency driving uh, campaigns. And over time, uh, I can't name names on this, but uh, we've got a couple of grocers that are attributing themselves. This is not our analysis. It's their own analysis um, between 1.2 and 1.5% of top line total sales uplift based on the campaigns that we run. So, so, you know, obviously in a big retailer, that's a big number, right? So um, yeah, that's the kind of thing that we, uh, we are striving for. And we have plenty of case studies where we are actually delivering that and more. Uh, Buck, that's tremendous. And it's very clear that you've taken your uh, experience in loyalty marketing and integrated it into this, this fabulous technological capability. Um, you know where I came from. I talked about it before. Sounds like, and I've seen some of, some of what the output of the register receipts are, and I'll say you've done some pretty tremendous work with what is a monochromatic, in many cases, uh, thermal output. How do you ensure that the, uh, the content is meaningful and engaging to consumers without uh, falling into what I'll lovingly refer to as the CVS effect of a very long, uh, very uh, arduous receipt that, uh, that diminishes in terms of its uh, conversion capabilities? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, and, you know, everyone knows the CVS effect, as you put it, you know, these great um, long pieces of paper that come out of the printer. However, you know, they've been doing that for a long time. They're continuing to do it. And there's a reason for that, right? Yep. It's because it works. It drives a return. So you can't knock that. So how, do, how can we improve against that kind of thing? And there's a few things, right? Um, touched on some of these already, uh, but we can make it relevant to the targeting. And we can do dynamic targeting based on either what's in the basket or what we know about the customer from either loyalty program or possibly some other identification uh, methodologies that exist. So make it relevant, make it sharp, really, really cool um, graphical content. So proper branding, proper product images, um, which, you know, stand out from the crowd, if you like. But more than that, and this is why, you know, we have friends in marketing, but we also have friends in IT in the retail space once we get in there is because we have a, one of the adaptations of our technology is what we call clean receipt. And it does a few things. It compresses all the white space that is in a receipt. So it really tidies it up and shortens the length. If you want to do that, um, we can use true type fonts. So it actually looks smart and we can group the products by category or by could be any number of criteria that you wish to, uh, to judge that upon if you know, that's in the control of the retailer. But essentially, it takes that same idea and we think supercharges it uh, several times over because of the way in which we're able to, as I say, uh, deliver better targeting, um, but also once we've got the targeting nailed down, 
deliver content that a customer actually can see and will typically act upon. So, so Dave, one question um, that comes to mind for me, and, and you kind of said this, arguably there, the, the automation of this, the cloud, the machine learning that enables kind of real-time decisions based on, like you said, what is in their basket, what has been, what has been scanned, obviously could change their message. How much of that is predefined by the retailer and how much of that is technology kind of adapting in real time, right? Because arguably the retailer could say, I have these 300 different messages I, I, I think I want said, but it may obviously in real time, you might learn that the conversion is higher on three of them. And, and so, so machine learning helps bridge that, that gap between um, the, the targeting, the initial targeting and the actual experience delivery and what's actually going to drive the greatest engagement. Yeah, so um, this is uh, it's a kind of similar answer to some of my previous ones. In that it really does vary quite a bit by the retailer because, you know, for us, a primary reason for existing, if you like, is, as I said at the start, is to provide retailers with the ability to unlock the value that we think is there. So how do we do that? We provide our software. So that's what we do first and foremost. So, you know, um, we are a retail technology company first and foremost. But of course, we do have additional capabilities. So the first thing that we want to do is put the technology in the hands of our retail customers. So in some cases, Chris, the answer to your question is, well, how far does the retailer wish to push it? Right? What is their current capability or what is their desired capability, either working with their internal analytics teams or with third parties? Um, and probably the best way, is it, there's probably a two-part answer to this, really. For me, I would say... Um, one of the other things about our company that I think is, uh, and well, I think I would say this, but our customers tend to think is pretty cool as well, is that we are we're pretty much third-party agnostic. So we haven't yet found a third party we can't or won't work with. So if the retailer either has an existing company that, it, as you say, it could be machine learning or AI-based um, intelligence that they wish to apply to what actually gets delivered to customers, we're, we're totally cool with that. Um, and I think really... Uh, so that'd be the first part of that. Uh, and then I guess the second part is in terms of what is the impact on what then gets delivered? Well, there's a couple of things on that. Firstly, uh, there is no delay whatsoever. So the customer doesn't see any um, pause, any slowing down. Because again, I keep saying this and it's obvious, but any delay at the tra you know of the transaction at the point of sale at the checkout is a nightmare. Uh, and if we were to do that, then clearly we wouldn't have a big business um so there's no delay so what's happening in the background is in real time uh if the retailer has populated you know the cloud with um uh with either their own or third party input that is using ai or machine learning um then effectively we're doing that lookup like that in real time saying right what's the next best action based on what we've just seen so um so one of you the points that you raised in the question you know it could be that uh the priority order changes based on what we've just seen. So typically what will happen is you know, it could be any number of campaigns. could be you know, 2,000 concurrent live campaigns. And I, as a customer, I might fit the criteria for 10 of them. Um, and a retailer may very reasonably not want me to get 10 different coupons in one transaction, right? Because that's probably a little bit of overkill. So there's a very simple way that we can prioritize those, but it's a dynamic prioritization. So it could be that, you know, campaign A is the highest priority for customer segment one. That's really straightforward. However, you can then add additional rules. It says, but if we see you know, product X in the basket, it becomes priority two. 
and this other campaign becomes priority one and so on and so forth. So in real time, we're looking at what's happened based on the input from the analytics, be that from the retailer themselves or third party. Uh, and then we're adjusting that based on what's in the basket in real time and making sure that then the campaign that is issued is the right one relative to uh, the information that's provided. That's great, Dave. Um, so my next question is around uh, the results. What type of performance measurement do you provide to your clients, retail clients, if you're selling offers to brands as well, to help them uh, measure ROI and how do they access this? Yeah, so there's a, there's a few things. Um, as, a, as a sort of matter of standard, we have live reporting dashboards that are showing both issuance and redemption of any campaign. So all of our retail customers they'll have access to our portal where we're holding that data. And it is, it's pretty much in real time. Um, we're monitoring issuance and that's important for a number of reasons. Um, obviously, you know, retailers want to see how well campaigns are, are running and is issuance happening as they would expect it to do. But it's also important for, um, I guess, housekeeping, if you like, because you know, we will um, work with our retail customers to make sure they set up campaigns in such a way as you know, they're not going to exceed budgets, they're not going to you know, issue too many coupons for a particular brand or whatever it may be. Um, but occasionally you might see that due to conditions, could be outside of the retailer's control, could be seasonal, could be you know, local conditions, whatever it may be, a campaign may just take off and you know, start going gangbusters. Uh, so the fact that we're able to report real-time in both the, uh, the issuance and the redemptions gives the ability, uh, the retailer the ability to put a pause on a campaign if they wish to do so. So that's the first thing that we're doing. We're just saying, here's what's happening. Here's your issuance. Here's your redemption. You know, it's all good or it's not, whatever the case may be. Um, and that's pretty basic. Beyond that, uh, we also have a series of automated post-campaign analytics, which, which you know, I guess, you know, in a, it, to be candid, they're reasonably basic. You know, it's not the most advanced analytics you've ever seen, but it doesn't need to be. Because essentially what we're doing is we're driving, um, you know, we're driving issuance of a particular campaign. We will always hold back a control group. So you've got a compare and contrast uh, capability and we will be able to construct automatically when a campaign is finished, a simple PCA that shows, right, here's what happened. Here was the issuance. Here was the redemption. Here's the effect on the basket. Here's the effect on the brand, on the category, et cetera, et cetera. So you're getting some pretty high level um, but important metrics almost as soon as a campaign is finished allowing for the redemption window um, that, again, you know, our retail customers are able to access directly via the portal that they have access to. So, Dave, um, we talk about, so, and as you said, I'm sure for a lot of retailers, they, they probably do have upwards of thousands of different campaigns that could go live with different levels of priority. How, how have you helped retailers change kind of, I, I know there's been a maturity process for targeting, right? It's, it, it, theoretically should be well beyond demographics alone, but how far different has it come with, with the kind of data that you can bring to the table in real time of their actions before they purchased and then their actions after they're purchased and how, how has that changed segmentation with some of your retailers? Obviously you can keep, you know, keep the names anonymous to protect the innocent, but yeah, how, how far have you been able to bring them? Yeah. So again, it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a real mixed bag because uh, you know, some of our retail customers, uh, and you're right, I, I won't name names um, to protect the innocent, but you know, some of them are, are more advanced than others, right? goes without saying. And so for those who are perhaps more um, further along the curve of adopting 
uh, machine learning capabilities to really determine what they want to issue to customers. For, for those customers, we, are more, we act more as a triggering engine rather than um, the analytics behind it. And like I said earlier on, you know, we're, we're third-party agnostic, so we're very, very comfortable doing that. And we'll typically take an API feed in from whatever uh, system the retailer is using and just use that to identify the triggers that mean then there's a campaign that has just you know, met the criteria and we're going to execute against that. Um, but there are others who are perhaps less advanced for whom we have built some capabilities ourselves. So if you think about, you know, I've described earlier on what the core elements of our technology are, and that's the core bits that kind of sit in and around the point of sale. But we do have some upstream and downstream capabilities as well, which I guess really enhance uh, the value that we can deliver. And one of the upstream capabilities is our own in insight um, based audience builder. So we have an audience builder tool, which is a segmentation engine effectively. Um, and in the same way as the retailer, and it's important to, to understand that this is for business users, right? This is not for IT users. So a, a business user, a retailer, in the same way as they can set up a simple or a complex campaign, frankly, simple or complex up to them um, using the portal, they use the same system to determine which audience segments they wish to target. Uh, and that can be based on, it's really to your point, I think, Chris, it's a combination of demographics and past and current purchasing behavior. Because we think the two things together are the most powerful way of getting the right offer into the right customer's hands at the right time. So a bit of a combination, but yeah, we've developed some technology that effectively sits upstream of the core execution that allows business users to uh, effectively create their own audiences based on the different criteria that they're looking to hit. Buck, uh, thank you so much for giving us uh, an in-depth understanding of how Acribo is taking advantage, as you said, of 80% of the transactional engagements that are occurring in this omni-channel world. Before we get you out of here, Chris and I have a couple of what we'll call, let's leverage your industry knowledge to get some rank punditry opinions on, on some issues of the day. We're obviously in the middle of this big pandemic. And I'd love to get your thoughts on how retailers are adjusting to the upcoming holiday season, particularly Black Friday, which is traditionally a very in-store experience, and what they should be doing to make sure that uh, they're, they're taking uh, advantage of the situation as best as they can be and adjusting to the reality of the pandemic. Yeah, it's a real interesting one, isn't it? And uh, Yeah. We, uh, you know, nobody has a crystal ball here, right? So, uh, you know, I guess some of this is based on well, what are we seeing? What do we think might happen? And, you know, you, you mentioned Black Friday there, Pete. And, yeah, of course, traditionally, big, big holiday uh, in the US hasn't historically been so much in Europe, but it's becoming more so. So the last, I'd say, five, six years, maybe, um, certainly in the UK, other European countries to a lesser extent, you know, Black Friday has become something of a big deal. Certainly, it, 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 perhaps in certain retail verticals more than others, certainly consumer elect electronics for sure. Um, anyway, ever since I've been at Acribo, um, because we have and sit, sit right across the spectrum of different retail verticals, you know, we've seen the impacts of, of Black Friday. And pre-pandemic, you know, we were seeing you know, clearly a big spike in sales, as you do in the US. Um, but actually, it was noticeably more online than in-store. Um, so I think even with the pandemic now, you know, in whatever it is, five, six months in, uh, it's probably reasonable to expect that trend to continue. And we are seeing more of a shift online. But of course, you know, we have to recognize and, and remember that you know, many of these retailers still have extensive store estates, brick and mortar, uh, which 
is a heavy cost that they need to try and leverage and make some return from. And it's possible to do it. You know, there are some retailers who are making a big success of this. Typically, we're finding it's those who are adept at joining the online and the offline worlds. So, you know, click and collect or buy online, pick up in store kind of capability. We're finding and seeing in our own customer base, those that are able to really capitalize on that uh, capability where you're able to drive, you know, online to in-store and in-store to online is those who are really, certainly in terms of the numbers we're seeing, they're the ones who are really setting themselves apart from the competition because, you know, we're seeing it around the world, certainly in the UK, certainly in the US, you know, uh, retail is hemorrhaging, things look pretty bleak, but there are bright spots for sure. Um, and, and we feel confident that actually those retailers who really get it, who have a proper understanding of who their customers are, and then double down on the ability to communicate meaningfully with those customers, they're the ones who are going to prevail. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a simple thing to say. It's difficult to do, but the technology is there, and those who are really adopting that, we think, uh, are going to be the winners. Now, Dave, one other area that, that Peter and I really wanted to get your take on, because I, I, I've been reading all about this, and while I'm not an expert on the technology or the implementation, I just find this fascinating as part of like frictionless commerce. But this idea of cashierless stores obviously isn't really new. It's actually, it, it, it was already trending and now is now accelerated because of more of the safety and health aspect. But, you know, Amazon Go stores are already in place and they're white labeling that. Arguably that was a bad timing, but then it wasn't a bad timing. You know, 7-Eleven is testing it. Ahold is testing it. Sansbury is testing it. Um, and then it's not even just cashierless stores. Arguably, have like self-checkout, which isn't new either. But like Walmart's testing the all-self-checkout store in Arkansas. A, really more for shopper exposure to employees. And, and so on one side, you have safety, health, and convenience as a, as a, as a benefit that may, may pad the, the top line because of a better experience. But then the retailer technically loses the ability to personalize the experience, um, you know, the, the way they typically did and interact with the consumer. So how should they compensate? And obviously, how, how, how do you see that since obviously you have a solution that could help? Yeah, it's a, it's a real interesting one. And, and you, you won't be surprised to learn we put a great deal of thought into this. Um, as you say, you know, the idea of um, you know, cashierless stores is not completely new. It's been around for a while. Interestingly, again, this is, this is pre uh, COVID, but you know there are a couple of uh, the big grocers here in the UK that trialled some completely cashierless stores in London and actually rode back from that position because it wasn't quite working for the customer. But nonetheless, you know, COVID clearly changes things. Um, for us, you know, it's an interesting one because obviously we've we've spent a lot of time in this conversation talking about like, physical couponing and that being one of the core things that we do. But to put it bluntly, that the actual output is almost irrelevant for us. Where the magic happens is at the transaction. So, you know, we believe, and we have to believe, <laughs> that customers will always want some kind of record of purchase. And actually the retailer will want that too, even if it's just a proof of purchase chip, um, be that physical or digital. So, uh, and clearly, you know, there's advantages of both, but we, I've sort of hinted this already, we think that, or we know that a customer tells you a hell of a lot about themselves when they buy products in your store. And it doesn't matter if that's a cashierless store, if they get a receipt or not, they tell you a lot about themselves. So we think that regardless of channel, um, 
the magic still happens at that point of interaction. Customers either online or in your store telling you lots about themselves by the products they are purchasing. Um, and as long as there's going to be some way in which they want, they want to have a record of those products having been purchased, that provides the opportunity to communicate meaningfully with that customer. And we've always believed that, you know, some of the retailers that we've seen around the world, you know, in my time pre and, and during my time at Acribo, they commit uh, a bit of a sin actually in terms of ignoring what a customer just told you because the customer just told you a lot by going through the checkout. Um, so we believe that regardless of the medium, be it cashierless, be it digital, be it physical, email, direct to mobile app, doesn't really matter because as long as people are buying products from you as a retailer, they're telling you something that gives you the opportunity to tell them something back that is going to be relevant. And so as technology changes and ways in which people shop changes, we think that we're well positioned to help retailers really capitalize on that opportunity regardless of the channel. Well, I want to remind all our listeners, if you want to see the multitude of content that Sheree and I are producing, be it on podcast, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and anything else we can think of, your single source to find that is linktree slash CPG guys. That's linktr.ee slash CPG guys. And if you would, we'd really appreciate it if you would go to Apple Podcasts give us a rating and subscribe to the podcast there. You can reach that by going to tinyurl.com slash Apple CPG podcast. I want to really thank you, David Buckingham, for joining us today. You gave us a tremendous insight into not overlooking all of the consumer touch points that are happening in retail and how retailers can leverage what they're already doing in a very easy fashion to personalize and engage with their consumers. How, please tell our audience how they can learn more about you and your company. Yeah, probably the easiest way, you know, our website is ecribo.com. That's E-C-R-E-B-O.com. You'll find all the information on there and all the contact details. I'm personally on LinkedIn, David Buckingham uh, on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, if you want to get in touch, I'd love to hear from you. So thank you so much, Dave. We really appreciate you joining us. Uh, I also want to turn to my uh, able stand-in co-host. I think Shree, when he listens to this, is going to be a little nervous because, uh, you know, he's going to have to up his game because you really brought it today, Chris. I I, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, Chris, if people want to find uh, you, some of your thought leadership, like the, the, uh, the shelf confidence report you did for One Space or to learn more about first mover in your great new uh, uh, educational resource? How can they find all of this? That's a great question. Very easily can find everything on LinkedIn. I put everything there. Um, Firstmover.com. There's no E in first mover because the E is silent in e-commerce. We're just talking about commerce really. Um, um, But feel free to join our community, join our events. But honestly, Dave, I'm really honored to be a co-host to get, to get to interview you. I I learned a ton and, and I, this is why I enjoy being a part of this. I'm always learning every day. So thank you for being our guest expert today. All right. With that, I'll thank our audience and we'll look forward to connecting with you on the next episode of Consumer Engagement in an Omnichannel World. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. 
By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.